okay for the weekend mornings with Raji Sohal podcast, affectionately known around here at CKNW as the Sunday Show. We picked just a few stories we covered to highlight for you. Bars reopened in Vancouver finally after COVID restrictions were lifted. How did that go? And things seem to have wrapped up in Ottawa at the trucker convoy protest. What happened to get us to this point? David Aiken has that story. And an incredible week of events in STEM learning at Science World. I check in with an impressive 16-year-old who says that that program helped her see the value of having a role model in science and math. Let's start there. A highly popular program at Science World called Girls in STEAM begins this week. The program will provide engaging, future-focused opportunities for girls aged 14 to 16 to explore dream careers and connect with inspiring mentors and role models, experts in science, tech, engineering, arts, that's where STEM becomes STEAM, and design and math. And joining us on the line is Alexa Bailey. She's a former participant of the program. And Sandy Ikes, I should say Dr. Sandy Ikes, because she has multiple degrees in engineering, I understand. She's a director of STEM learning at Science World. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to chat with you guys again. I know we chatted uh, many, many months ago for um, work I was doing on the Simi Sarah show. So Sandy, I will start with you. Like I've said, you you have multiple degrees in engineering yourself. You now run STEM learning at Science World. Why is a program like Girls in STEAM important for girls to participate in? Well, I think um, the most important thing is that you, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And um there's still a lot of fields in science, technology, engineering, and math where um, there is there is poor gender diversity. And the, the field that I studied a lot of physics um, and computing are two areas, especially that are, are very uh, very poor in gender diversity. Um, so I think it's it's amazing for young people to be able to see themselves reflected in successful careers, to be able to um, think a person like me could become um, a, a person like this amazing role model, and so um, without that, uh, without that gender diversity, I think those fields are poorer. Um, so we want to get uh, greater gender diversity in STEM fields, and we can do that by providing role models. So, how far along are we with uh, with gender diversity in a field like physics, for example? Physics is still pretty poor. I think it's still under twenty percent women, um, which is what they count. Did you say twenty percent? Um, yeah, something like that. Wow. Um, it's, it's, some fields are really improving. I know some efforts at UBC brought, has brought their um, percentage of women in engineering up, up uh, much higher. Um, and some fields like the biological and life sciences are 50-50 or even more women than men. So it really depends on the field. But we, and we have come a long way, uh, but we still have a, a, a fair ways to go. And also, Alexa, you've designed a program that helps young girls have fun with math. It's called Girls to the Power of Math. People can check it out online for more information. You've participated in this Science World STEAM uh, event in the past. Alexa, what did you get from the program at Science World? Yeah, I was the first. Uh, I participated in the first Girls in STEAM event at Science World in 2018. And what I really appreciated about the event was the mentorship I got. Uh, through Science World, I was connected to SQUIST, which is the Society for Canadian Women in Science and Technology, and WS, which is West Coast Women in Engineering, Science and Technology. And uh, I really would not have been able to start Girls to Power of Math uh, 
or develop it without the supportive network of women that I met because of my connections with Science World and this symposium. That's amazing, Alexa. So what did you gain from those role models? Um, it was amazing. I remember uh, the speaker that year was Ann Mekosinski, and I remember just being so impressed that she was innovating and she was a woman in science, and I know that I want to be an innovator as well, and I want to help people with my talents in STEM. Uh, so really being able to see role models and women in science really inspired me, and it also um, inspired me to give that to younger girls as well. So my program, Girls Power of Math, really focuses or brings in mentorship. We have high school girls, mentor elementary school girls, to try and boost their confidence in math and give them positive role models to look up to. Alexa, you're 16 now. You've already graduated high school and you've applied to various universities, I think in, in engineering, right? In the field of engineering? Mostly in engineering, but some other STEM fields as well, yeah. Okay. That's really inspiring, I'm sure, for anyone who's listening right now. It's just incredible. What would your path have looked like, do you think, if you didn't have the role models and mentorship that you've gained through programs like the one at Science World? I think it would have been really different. I experienced a lot of gender-based, I guess, stereotypes surrounding math. I was told that, well, you're a girl, you're not fast enough at math, you can't be good at math. Um, So one thing that really helped was having these role models from a very young age, too. I remember um, Science World, there was the Super Science Club at my school that Sandy actually ran. (laughs) And that was uh, having that role model from a very young age and having women in my family that are in science was also very important. So I think that mentorship needs to happen all throughout a girl's life, but specifically, I think it needs to start young as well. Yeah, your program, Girls to the Power of Math, that helps very young girls, uh, girls uh, that are even in grade three. When you see those girls participating in the program, what do you notice? They love it. Uh, They're having so much fun, and they don't even realize that they're maybe learning math. Uh, We do a survey to evaluate the effectiveness of the program before and after, or at the beginning and at the end of the program. And many of the surveys at the beginning, uh, their answer to the question, I like math, um, isn't very positive. But you would not be able to tell that when you're watching the sessions. They're laughing, they're playing, they're singing, uh, they're dancing. They're just really enjoying themselves. And I think that's so wonderful because they are building skills in math. But what's most important is they're, uh, they get a fun experience with math. And they're just having fun with these, these mentors. Yeah, Sandy, what do you notice the girls go through at the Science World STEM event? I think it's really freeing for them to see uh, older mentors, so young women who are um, who have the same excitement that they do about the topic. Um, I think they feel really free to express their excitement, which is which is always fun to watch. The the activities and the interactions are really positive and um, very informal. So, um, folks, both the mentors and the and the participants. Um, 
can feel really free to be themselves. And I think that's a, a huge part of, um, of uh, learning to, to feel comfortable in a space like a, a STEM field. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just that informality, the, the sense of fun um, is really key. Sandy Ikes, thank you so much for being with me. And Alexa Bailey, you too. Thank you very much for having us here. Have a great day and have a great event at Science World. Thank you. Bars reopened yesterday, and I'm wondering if anyone listening right now went out or if all those people are still asleep. (laughs) Let me know how it was if you went out. I saw lots of pictures and videos out there showing dancing and singing. So we'll check in now with Jeff Guinard. He's the executive director of AbleBC to see how it all went. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. So did you go out? Were you out uh, on the scene last night? I did a little bit, but I, I wasn't out uh, as late as some of the other folks who maybe are not listening right now. But it, okay. was, uh, it, it was really interesting, I have to say. A couple of things yeah. I noticed right away. First off, places were full. Uh, we haven't seen that in a long time because of the restrictions on, you know, two meters per table and group sizes. Uh, some places still kept some distance between tables, but ultimately, yeah, restaurants were full, pubs were full, and there were lines outside of the nightclubs. Uh, so it's it really is a clear signal that uh, we've, we've conquered COVID and we're moving to, to something like the before times. It's really exciting. So how are you feeling then? Well, I mean, I stayed a little late sometime, a little tired, but uh, overall, <laughs> what industry is feeling now is probably, you know, just an incredible sense of relief and excitement that they actually get a chance to get back to work. They go something like the nightclubs. I mean, they have not existed in British Columbia for over 100 weekends, right? People have had no opportunity to make revenue. Some people have had to take second mortgages on their houses just to try and, you know, make the payroll and to keep going. So now there's a chance to start to actually recover. Dr. Henry was pretty clear. She doesn't expect us to have to go backwards. Uh, So people are seeing, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel for the first time through the pandemic. And that's made a real difference in in the mood and the atmosphere. And I think people's mental health as well. So then, Jeff, do you feel like the reopening came at the right time? Well, I don't know when the right time or wrong time is. It couldn't happen soon enough for folks in the industry, obviously, but it um, it came at a crucial time. You know, normally in our in our business cycle, you know, December, January, or December sort of in the holidays is our, it's our busiest time. That was right when new restrictions for the Omicron variant came in, right? So we ended up having handcuffs on us at the exact time when we make revenue that carries us through to January and February, which is normally our slowest time. So right now, getting people back out into those establishments is huge for our industry. Uh, and people are already looking forward towards, you know, St. Patrick's Day, and we're booking bands and DJs and wedding receptions. And it's it's a really interesting uh, time. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of enthusiasm and excitement out there. And you can see from the customers too, right? Probably the biggest change is just the, just the attitude, as opposed to people going out and be like, oh no, I can't do this, I can't do that. People are on the dance floor having a great time, uh, and we haven't really seen that in two years. Jeff, you said the industry had handcuffs on it, but a lot of people listening are going, okay, but also we are very glad that the nightclubs and bars were closed during that period and it, it maybe helped save lives, ultimately. Yeah, look, the, the real story, though, that we don't talk enough about for sure is how unbelievably proud we all are as an industry and the folks who work within government, the provincial health office. I mean, we, we did this together with all British Columbians who got vaccinated, I mean, over 90% of the population, right? People who wore masks, people who abided by those public health protocols. That's how we got through this. And absolutely, we knew that, you know, we had to make some sacrifices and we could quibble as we did all the way through about which rules made sense and didn't. And our industry ended up working with government to amend a bunch of public health orders on this to try and give people a chance. 
But yeah, you know, we, we did this because it was the right thing to do. But now we are finally out of this. Our situation where everybody inside of our establishments are vaccinated. Our biggest challenge is it's hard to keep people wearing masks on the dance floor. Yeah, what was that like? <laughs> well, you know, one of my uh, members texted last night that it was hilarious. Uh, I mean, they um, having to walk around just perpetually reminding people. But, you know, in this case, we, we've changed the order, so it's not necessarily the business's responsibility to do it. Our, our job is to tell you you have to wear masks, to encourage you to do it, to put up signs. Uh, but it's on the individual patrons. I mean, they're the ones violating an order if they choose to, to not wear masks. But overall, it was it was manageable given that it's it's the only, you know, aside from having to check vaccine passports and, and have our COVID safety plans in place, it's the only real enforcement thing that, that we're paying attention to out there from uh, from COVID perspective. So it's it, it's not like we haven't been doing various kinds of restrictions for two years. So it was, it was a challenge, but overall, it uh, I heard it went fairly well. Now, lineups, I'm imagining, were quite long. <laughs> is that the in case? In some cases. Yeah, in some cases. Although, you know, we, um, if you look at something like a nightclub, they have plenty of experience managing lineups. Our, our largest challenge there is honestly just labor. Um, you know, we haven't really had big lineups in Southern nightclubs in the past two years, so we haven't had door staff. We're hiring everybody right now. We're rehiring. Uh, so this weekend, although it was very exciting, was not was not perfect from a business perspective, right? We were down a bit on staff. You know, we'd only placed our orders for certain liquor products last week. Some of that didn't arrive yet. So uh, we're going to be building up over the next few weekends. And um, as I keep saying to anybody I know, if you're looking for a job, every restaurant, pub, bar, nightclub, and hotel in the city is hiring right now. Did you have the sense, Jeff, that yesterday was back to normal? Yeah, I think the customers had that sense. It was really interesting, right? They It really felt like... Um, a clear difference from you know what, what we've been going through for the past couple of years, where those handcuffs are off, people are able to do something like you know talk to a stranger at a bar without plexiglass between them, or you know, hit the dance floor, or go mingle with the stranger, or talk to someone in a way that people haven't felt comfortable. And humans are quite adaptable. It's interesting how quickly um, that has changed. Now I, I know that not everyone listening is comfortable going out again, and, and that's obviously fine. Take your time, make your own decisions on that, but. Um, it was a real clear sign this weekend so far that it's safe to drink out, and to dine out, and to have fun in British Columbia again. And it, that's really encouraging. Jeff, what did you hear from venues and vendors about other challenges? Oh, it's honestly, labor is the biggest thing that everyone talks about. And I know there's still some frustrations about, you know, having to verify vaccination status and wear masks. And But I think we're, we're all clear that those look like they'll be expiring in the next month or two. Um, but honestly, it's um, it labor is the most serious challenge in our industry. At our peak, we employ about 190,000 British Columbians every year, making us the fourth largest private sector employer. Uh, but we're short about 20,000 workers right now. You can literally walk into any pub or restaurant or a nightclub, and, and they're, they're hiring at the moment. Uh, so it ends up having impact on you know the speed of service or um, you know sometimes the menu options we can we can offer you or you know, just some, some of that experience, right? So I feel like the, the biggest challenge for our industry for the next little while in, is going to be helping our, our sales recover from a labor perspective. Uh, so if anyone's looking for a job, they're definitely hiring and uh, government will be implementing some programs to help us with that, I'm pretty sure. Okay, that sounds good. Jeff, just before you go, I have one more question for you. I think a lot of people are wondering who went out last night. Like, what was the demographic like? Yeah, it depends on where you went, right? I mean, I was out for, for dinner last evening and it was, you know, exactly the kind of crowd you'd expect going out to a restaurant on a Saturday night, really varied in age and demographics. Um, you know, the nightclubs, for example, are divided. Some of them are, you know, they actually attract slightly older crowd. You know, you expect it to be people in their 20s and their early 20s, and they were definitely out last night. But also folks in their early 30s were out last night as well. 
uh, I think you're seeing a whole range of people that are just looking to let off a little steam and have a really good time. And uh, it, it really felt like a reflection of our society in general out there. Well, listen, I know it's been a very challenging couple of years in the industry, and I want to thank uh, everyone who did their part to uh, get us to this point where we were able to open again. You're very kind. I really appreciate that. It's uh, We finally turned the corner. Thanks so much, Jeff. My pleasure. Have a good day. Well, as police have been clearing downtown Ottawa of the trucker, trucker convoy blockades, we are going to Ottawa, where our global news chief political correspondent, David Aiken, has been following the situation pretty closely. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yeah, it's a, uh, a cold day again here in Ottawa. The, the weekend weather has been classic sort of Canadian winter. A lot of snow, cold, windy, and right now a little bit of snow falling, about minus 20 on oh, a Parliament wow. Hill that, for the first time in three weeks, is very quiet. And, and you know, the, the pictures you saw the last three weeks of all those trucks and bouncy castles and tents uh, on the street right in front of Parliament Hill, that's Wellington Street, completely clear. It's uh, wide open. There's no, no traffic on it, no public traffic. There's still a security perimeter for... Um, um, quite a ways in sort of the downtown core. I had to show my credentials through six checkpoints to get to my parliament, our, our parliamentary bureau office, which is, looks right out over East Block over the National War Memorial. So you can't get in here unless you're one of the people that live here or work here. But, um, the police are, uh, the police have been busy all night long cleaning up and, uh, it's clear. And how are police reinforcing those various checkpoints? Well, so, so even though, as I say, that the, the occupation, it seems to be done. There's still some protesters in town. They, they caused a headache last night, uh, set up a block party a few blocks from Parliament Hill that, you know, was rather disruptive, uh, to people who's, who lived in the neighborhood. So there are still people, uh, around. And there are reports that people are still trying to somehow find a way to come back down to Parliament Hill to kick things up again. But this, there are, uh, you know, eight foot high, chain link fences that have been installed. Um, we've got some just outside our office to prevent anybody from essentially what the police say, retaking the ground that they won yesterday. So that is about two blocks south and east and west of Parliament Hill. Of course, the back of Parliament Hill is a giant cliff and the Ottawa River, so you don't have to worry about that. And then from there, now you go about... Uh, uh, three or four kilometers south of Parliament Hill to a major four-lane highway. It's a 400 series highway called Highway 417, and there are all, the off the exit ramps remain closed. They've been closed all week. So the normal, if you were coming into downtown Ottawa traveling from a highway, you know there's three or four exits you might take. They're all closed. You cannot exit. Um, you've got to exit far away from the downtown, and then you've got to try to get through checkpoints. So that again, police saying yesterday. Um, they still have multiple investigations underway, and uh, they are trying to prepare. They're, again, worried that people are going to resume some of these protests. And, of course, we saw some copycat protests all around the country. I think there was some, uh, was it down the Peace Arch or the Pacific Highway in Syria? I'm not sure which one, but I know there was right, some yeah. action there in B.C. Yeah, and so, there's also you know, been uh, some uh, fundraising efforts in B.C. to send money to the Ottawa convoy, including... Uh, the District of North Vancouver, apparently, um, people are sending yeah, that, thousands of dollars. Uh, that's going to be interesting. One of the things we learned yesterday, too, you know, we've got this Federal Emergencies Act, which, by the way, your, your MP is in the House of Commons, or maybe not your MP, but MPs generally. Yeah. They're in the House of Commons right now. They were there at 7 a.m. local time. They'll be there till midnight. 
debating this Emergencies Act. And yesterday, you know, one of the powers that uh, becomes available under the Emergencies Act was the ability for uh, authorities to ask bank accounts to be frozen. Yes. And in fact, we learned 76 bank accounts were in fact frozen. They came to c- take a combined $3.2 million. Wow. One of the bank accounts frozen, one of the organizers, Tamara Leach. You may have seen her in the news the last couple of weeks. She's from uh, Lethbridge, Alberta. She has been. She got arrested Thursday night. She's been in jail ever since. She had a bail hearing yesterday. Uh, the Crown wants to deny her bail. They want to keep her in jail until her trial. Um, she, her, law, her lawyer says, listen, she's never, doesn't have a criminal record. She's never been in trouble before. She ought to deserve bail. And she wants out on $5,000. Um, she says she's broke. Um, she's had her bank account frozen. And because of that, she says she can't pay a $1,700 hotel bill here in Ottawa. But her husband was uh, testified as a witness. And her husband arrived here in Ottawa on a private jet. Oh, um, wow. He told this to the court. And, 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 and the judge said, the, the, the Crown said, well, Whose jet was it? And he goes, I, I don't know. It was just some nice guy named Joseph gave me a private jet. That was his testimony in front of the judge. Anyways, Tamara Leach stays in jail. The judge said, I'm going to think about it. Uh, she's going to be in jail till Tuesday morning. Another protest organizer, Pat King from, from Red, Red Deer. Deer. Yeah. Um, he also is in jail. He was arrested Thursday, and he's still in jail. And he'll have his bail hearing continued Tuesday morning. One guy is out that got charged, one of the leaders that got charged, a guy named Chris Barber. And uh, he posted, or he, his wife, I think, posted a $100,000 bond. That'll, that'll have to be paid if he, if he uh, doesn't uh, meet his bail conditions. Uh, chiefly would charge to have no more contact with this whole convoy stuff. And as he said, his organizing days are over, and he wants to. Do, he's going right home to Swift Current, Saskatchewan. So that's where he's off to. Uh, uh, but he still will have to face trial um, uh, at some point uh, down the road for uh, his part in uh, this what is now illegal occupation. And David, you've mentioned a lot of uh, or a few leaders of the uh, movement that have been arrested. What about other arrests? There have been, so the, the official police number as of midday yesterday was about 170 people arrested. Um, but after they gave us that number, I, I personally must have seen 20 at least uh, people arrested. So my guess is, you know, well over 200 people were arrested, detained and removed. Now, we asked the chief, you've arrested all these people. How many have you charged? And it turns out right now, those are the only individuals charged. Barber, uh, King and Leach. Uh, but the police say investigations are continuing. Other charges may be forthcoming. And we also learned yesterday a lot of a lot of the police you may have seen in some of the video footage as pushing the protesters back. Yeah. They had uh, cameras mounted on their gear and they would have been filming people that they were engaged with. Of course. And police say they will use that video to continue to investigate and identify people who were part of the, quote, unlawful assembly here. Remember, with the Emergencies Act, um, it by definition is no longer a peaceful or lawful protest. It was it was legal to be part of it. Period. Just to be a found in is uh, under the act uh, is is illegal. Um, you, under the act, you're not allowed to bring minor children. And we had lots of video, and I saw it with my own eyes of uh, of people who brought their kids into the middle of this confrontation with police. That too is a crime punishable by I think up to five thousand dollars in fines and some time in jail for bringing your kid to one of these. So. Uh, so there's some serious sanctions out there that police uh, still want to investigate. Um, and uh, as you say, there's still a, a huge police presence in downtown Ottawa. Do you have any idea of the number of police that are still downtown? 
Gosh, no, but I can, so again, I'm in our parliamentary bureau. It's 14 floors up looking right over the East Block and the National War Memorial and the Shadow Laurier Hotel um, sort of forms a bit of a triangle. And I'm looking right down now and uh, there's dozens of transport vehicles, eight or nine buses, uh, lots of minivans. My sense is some of these guys are getting ready to, and gals, I assume, are getting ready to depart. And they're coming. Remember, they came from all over the country. There were members of the Vancouver Police Department here. Calgary had uh, police officers here. Northwestern Ontario, Toronto. So uh, service, p- police forces from right across the country uh, ended up helping the Ottawa police. And now that the main event, it seems to be over, uh, it looks like... I mean, it seems pretty obvious, just looking at the transportation capacity in front of me, that some of those police are preparing now to return uh, home, um, as Ottawa police, I assume, uh, assumes more and more of the operational responsibilities around here. David, you've been watching the situation so closely, and people around the country have been noting that the police haven't always looked like they had the situation under control. That seems to have drastically changed in the last 48 hours, 72 hours. Do you think that the dispersal of the crowds there was due to the police using more aggression in force, or were people cold and tired? There's probably a combination of things. Uh, there's no question that, uh, that the police yesterday, um, watching it, uh, watching the operation unfold, and again, I, I had fortune to have a great view watching some of the tactics happen. It was incredibly organized. Remember, it was two days. It really started on the Friday. Yeah. And on the Friday, the police had uh, s- quite a significant amount of success, but they didn't clear all the streets, and there was that hardcore of rigs and protesters in front of Parliament Hill. So yesterday, the police said that they had suffered some assaults the day before when they tried to be you know, just overwhelmed by sheer numbers, but not really use a lot of... Um, uh, tools, I guess, or, or kit. So yesterday, though, it was different. They they showed up with batons and in, with helmets, and they had to use those batons mostly to push. Um, but I did see, you know, some people were getting whacked on the back of the the legs um, of varying degrees of force. The police used um, some anti riot uh, gear, uh, anti riot gear uh, equipment. Uh, there would be like some devices that would produce a very loud bang, like a howitzer or a tank going off. There was no shells or no no tear gas or anything, but these loud bangs would scare the heck out of people and get people moving and disoriented. Um, so there was some more equipment used. The police say that um, there was, as I say, no tear gas was dispersed. Uh, there was no uh, bullets of any kind fired. Um, it was simply just overwhelming police force, certainly in the several hundred. But here's the thing. A lot of the protesters at, at some point during the last two days, you know, they saw the writing on the wall. And uh, in fact, at, at some there were points yesterday morning where the police were literally surrounding a trucker's big rig and knowing that the trucker, knowing that, you know, he's going to lose that ability to carry on a living with his rig left of his own accord. And that's what happened. A lot of the protesters, you know, looking at several hundred police in riot gear coming at them, said, OK, we've made our point and they left. But many didn't. And as I say, so 200 people had to be arrested. I think something like 40 vehicles were uh, towed and uh, they'll be impounded for at least a week. Police have seized a bunch of licenses. So, you know, a lot of a lot of people who came here, uh, truckers, uh, commercial drivers, uh, put significant of, of their own assets at risk. And right now, uh, lots of them have, have lost those assets. OK, well, thank you so much for that overview, David. Thanks. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.